just so you know, I talked to Jamie, and he has given me full permission to go as long as needed. And so I actually was just in his office. I found a credit card. Pizza's coming. We're just going to do lunch together. We're going to mow through you know, about 87 scriptures. It'll be fun. You're going to love it, all right? It's going to be fantastic. No, I'm playing. I'm just joke. I'm joshing. But I do hope that you came to have fun today. Uh, church should be a blast. And uh, my goal this morning is that you leave surprised that, uh, that you could laugh as much as you did. Uh, and that you come to church with an expectation to have a great time. Yeah, this should be the best party you come to all week. If, if you think that you were coming to a funeral, we don't do those here. Well, maybe we do sometimes. But not today, okay? This is a party and we're going to have a fantastic time. And so be, let me know you're alive, okay? Say amen. You can even be like, preach. You know, whatever you need to do, you can stand up, wave something in the air. Like whatever, whatever, you know, wave your Bible at me. Let me know because here's the thing. If you don't respond, I'm thinking you're not getting it. So I'm just going to keep going, all right? So if you want the message to eventually end, let me know you're out there, okay? The, the more interactive you are, this could be done in probably 10 minutes, all right? But if you... Uh, hey, hey, so you, you know what I mean? Like nobody's ever frustrated if you leave church early. Have you noticed that? Even if it's like two minutes early, you feel like you got your whole day back. All right. So look, speed this up. Help me help you. Okay. Let me know that you're alive. I want to introduce you to my family, let you know why I'm so happy and excited. These are my beautiful kids. Sophie, she's eight. Uh, she's going to run for president of the United States and will win. And Tate is our culture shaper. He is an artist. It's so cool. His little creative mind, the stuff he comes up with is mind-blowing. You will probably buy something that he creates a little later. Um, and there's my beautiful wife. I'm married way up, way above my head. Notice how you can't even see my eyes in this picture. It's like a glare on my glasses. That's, on, that's intentional, you know, because I don't want you to really see me. I'm blinded by her beauty, okay? And so she's amazing, and uh, we actually have two more kids that are not uh, pictured here. They're twins from Burundi. They're five years old. Um, we were just matched with them, and so we will go pick them up in a few short months, and our uh, family will turn into like a big Oreo cookie, you know what I mean? It was like African, big creamy middle African. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, we cannot wait to have them join the Griffin clan. Uh, well, today, if you got your, I gave you, I stalled, so you got some time to get some paper. If, you're, if you want to pretend to be a note taker, write on top of your page, God did not forget. God did not forget. I tell you who does forget is me, okay? I am a forgetter. Are there any, any other forgetters in the house? Yeah, just a couple of us, okay? The rest of you are liars, okay? That's all right. It's the house of the Lord. There's grace here. We just sang a song about grace. Come all, you know, come all you sinners so y'all can come and repent because we all forget stuff, okay? I might forget more than you forget. I mean, a couple, my highlight reel of forgetting, I left my computer one time at the TSA check-in. Didn't realize it was gone until I got to Colorado, all right? That was a little bit of a nerve-wracking moment. But the good thing is, when you're a professional forgetter, you realize that there are great people in the world that, realize, that God has created for you that turn lost things into the lost and found. 
Okay, I'm so thankful for them. And so TSA had saved my computer, I think, in my custom cubbyhole at SeaTac Airport because I forget stuff so much. And so they had saved it. And so I got my computer back. It was awesome. Another time, I borrowed a buddy of mine's motorcycle. Any motorcycle riders in the house? Nobody? Y'all are too spiritual. <laughs> right? And so there was a couple of the motorcycle gang was at the first service. So, like, they, um, my buddy gave me his keys. And he said, look, I lost my spare. This is the only key that I have. So don't lose it. And I'm like, dude, got you, bro. I got you. Don't worry about this. It's keys, all right? I'm going to put it on with my keys. You're going to be fine. Hashtag lost them. Never to be found, okay? I had to pay to get like a key made, all right? I mean, I, I, I don't even know what happened. I think I, think I threw them away. Isn't that funny what happens with keys? Like, I found my keys in trash cans and freezers. Like, where, when, why? You ever, does this happen to anybody else? It's like you come in, you're exhausted, it's hot, you live in Texas, like 4,000 degrees, you know what I mean? You come in like, man, I need a soda. I'm going to get a soda, I'm going to leave my keys. Doesn't make any sense, right? But I do this all the time. And, 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 and so I lost my computer, forgot it, forgot my keys everywhere. I mean, maybe the, the, the jewel in my crown of forgetting things has to be when I was leading a short-term trip with my wife and Sophie when she was only two years old. We took a team from our church in Seattle, and we um, went to Paris for four days and then to a, a country in North Africa for about three weeks. And while we were in Paris, we were using the, the underground, the subway there, to get around because you can get everywhere there. It's fantastic. It's awesome. And uh, I wish we had them here, except for they'd be flooded all the time. That'd be kind of sketchy. But, like, we're cruising through the subway. We get off at this platform, right? And I'm thinking, hey, you know, we're going to do what crazy Americans do. We're just going to take a bunch of pictures in here, have fun, and just do what college students do, make more noise than you should in Europe. You know, has anybody ever traveled before? And you realize how crazy loud we are as Americans? It's like everywhere else is so quiet. People are just like so reserved and walking around. And then you can pick out Americans. They're like, yeah, hey, take a picture of me. Hey, selfie. You know what I mean? It's just like we're nuts. And so we're doing that and loving it and drawing attention to ourselves and, and frankly enjoying it. And then our, the next train that we needed to catch pulls in. And so we rush in, you know, because the door is just like at the airport, right? The doors are only open for a couple seconds. You got to get in there, man. You miss that. or My fear is to get stuck in the middle. Does anybody else have this fear? You try to get in, your foot's hung out, flying down. Nobody else, just me. Okay, so um, I, I, I jump on because of my fear to get stuck in the door. And I turn around, and as the glass doors are closing, I see my bag on the platform. I've forgotten my bag. Now, in this bag are my passports for me and my wife. And my kid, okay? And some team money was in there, all right? So lesson to be learned, don't ever give me cash. Don't give me cash, okay? Because I will forget it somewhere, and, and somebody else will think that God blessed them. But the truth is, is that I just forgot, okay? And so I, look, I see my bag, and there's these two girls walking down the platform. So I am beating on the door, like, trying to get their attention. They look at me, you know, then we go for that, like, you know, absolutely universal sign language for that's my bag, please protect it, you know, like bag, you know. And I'm thinking, do they get it? Or are they with me? Are they going to protect it? Are they going to steal my stuff? And so we go down to the next stop, jump off the train. 
run around to the other side, take it, the train that was heading back to where we just came from. I jump out and they are there protecting my back. I'm thinking, oh, the grace of God, right? My wife's looking at me with that, like, you are a moron face. I'm like, I know, I have like one job, don't lose the bag, but I forget stuff. I'm a forgetter. And I've actually kind of done a little self-evaluation, you know, I've been like, like, why do I forget stuff? Why do I have this problem with forgetting everything? And, and I guard you from experiencing a lot of my forgetfulness with OCD tendencies, you know, like I put everything in the same place and like I, I do everything in, in patterns and routines because if I don't, I might have driven to Chicago this morning. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I was like, who knows where I'm going to end up because I forget everything. And so I've been thinking, like, why do I forget stuff? Like, what is the, what's the issue? And I, I realized it's like, it has everything to do with what I see. You know, if I see it, I'm not going to forget it. You know, like, if I can look at it, it's like, okay, boom. If I can't see it, I'm on, I'm halfway there from forgetting it. That's why whenever I go someplace, I pack my bag, put it by the door. You know, because if I don't, guess what? I'm going to forget it. Last night, my daughter, dance recital, right? What did I do? You know, so proud, proud moment, proud father, forgot my phone. No pictures. You know what I mean? Hashtag, I forget things, right? It wasn't by the door. So is it my fault or is it my wife's fault? I always lean on her. It's her fault, right? That was a joke. Come on, guys, laugh. All right? I don't know what kind of ship you guys run here, but I'm like, I like laughter, okay? I'm not, if you need to cry, if that makes you feel spiritual, you can do that at the end. Right now, we're trying to have fun, okay? So, like, I, I'm a blame shifter too, okay? I, I shit, I'm going to shift blame. I'll blame you guys probably by the end of this. But the truth is, is that I forget things because I don't see things. And I think that is why it's so painful when we get forgotten. Because if you have an encounter with this, this terrifying, pervasive fear of being forgotten, in your mind, you know what it means to forget something. And so you think, I must be invisible. Because if I was forgotten, they must not be able to see me. Because what I see, I'm not going to forget. And being forgotten has this way of shaping how we see life. It plays into kind of the reality of how we even view ourselves when we experience the pain of being forgotten. Maybe you're remembering a memory as being forgotten as a kid. You know, I got left at school in second grade. Yeah, terrible parents, right? No, I got great parents. They just had a bad day, right? So I still remember that. Why? Because I felt invisible. Why is that? How come there's these memories that are, they kind of have like a super glue tendency about them where it doesn't matter how many times you've gone up for prayer, how many times that you've forgiven the people who are involved, it seems to still mark you, right? It's this pervasive, all-consuming, terrifying fear that gets locked into, am I visible or am I invisible, and we transfer that over into God, right? Because we, we think like, we, we encounter things in our lives and we're like, God, do you even see me? 
Like, do, do you see me right now? Because if you saw me, surely you would help me. But obviously I must be invisible. And then the birth of this lie that robs believers of the ability to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth is this. God must have forgotten. God forgot. God can't see me because there's no way that you can bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth if you don't think that God can see you. And therefore, one of the greatest roadblocks and opportunities at the same time that we have is to begin to wrestle with this question, God, did you forget? Right in the middle of our pain, right in the middle of the disappointment, right in the middle of your need for breakthrough, you got to be able to look at that not with this kind of bliss idea of like, oh, it's not really happening. No, staring right at it and asking the hard question, God, did you forget? Because if you didn't forget, then I'm going to make it. I'm going to be able to make it. If you can see me, I'm going to be okay. And I've been wrestling with this. It brought me to Mark 5. If you have a Bible, open it up to Mark 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Mark 5, verse 21, the, the subtitle in my Bible is, A Dead Girl and a Sick Woman. Are you encouraged? Does that build you up? Did you come to church to get filled with faith? A dead woman. I mean, it's like, could we do better than that, right? A dead woman and a, a dead girl and a sick woman. I love this story because it's two stories wrapped into one story. And I think the, the beauty of Jesus as being the God who sees is painted so clearly for us. And two individuals that had an, a massive amount of need in dramatically different directions. Let's dive in together. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. And while he was by the lake, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Let me just stop right there. So Jesus went. Have you thought about that? So Jesus went. Aren't you thankful that we have a God who comes Aren't you thankful that we have a God who responds in our time of need? That he doesn't say, hey, you know what? It's been a long day, long boat ride. I'll get there in a minute, buddy, but just not right now, okay? No, Jesus left. He went. And, and right from the beginning of this passage of Scripture, we encounter the truth of the gospel. That when Jesus came to earth, he was responding to our need and answering the question that we couldn't even ask. And so he came. He came. I mean, Jesus left all of the beauty of heaven, all of the, the authority he created, heaven and earth. He has been there since the beginning of time, since before time even began. And he looked down at us in our need. We're on our deathbed. And he does not say, I'm coming in a moment. No, he went. He comes. Our God is a God who comes. 
if you want to begin to combat the lie, did God forget? You have to begin to wrestle with the truth that he's a God who comes. He is a God who comes. He's not distant. He's not far away. He's not waiting until you do something. He is engaging you as you engage him. He's leaning in. Now, I've never dealt with the pain or trauma of a very sick kid. But I, I have been in, in, in environments that feel like everything that I'm doing is, is pointless because this circumstance is so out of my control. It's so bigger than my ability to be able to make anything happen that it, regardless of what I think, regardless of what I say, all I experience is this pervasive feeling of hopelessness. And I think that this father was at that place. And so he desperately, he had heard stories of Jesus. And so he comes, falls at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, I'm going to come with you, man. So he went. And as he went, this father probably breathed in some hope for the first time in that hopeless place. Because he thought, no way. No way, like Jesus is going to come and he actually is going to do it. He's actually going to come to my house. I've heard stories about this, man. This guy raises people from the dead. This guy touches blind eyes and they open. And he's coming to my house. He's going to pray for my little girl. She's going to live. All of a sudden, this hopeless situation starts to breathe in hope because Jesus went. What if we, in the middle of our need, believed that Jesus was coming? What if we didn't get distracted by the impossibility of whatever it is that we need, but we rested our hearts and our minds and the attention of our focus on the fact that Jesus is coming. He is coming. He's coming in your place of need. He's bringing breakthrough exactly where you need it. But just like they had to walk to Jarius's house, there is a process sometimes that we don't understand that needs to happen, not for his sake, but for ours. And I don't understand the complexity of God. I don't understand why bad things happen and why pain is what it is and how life can be so terrible at times. But I do know this, that in my darkest moment, God has proven himself more beautiful than I can ever imagine. He has proven himself to be more pervasively gorgeous and filled with more hope and grace in life than I can ever imagine, not on my best day, but on my worst and so Jarius begins to feel this hope come back into his heart. He, he's like, no way, Jesus is coming. And just like we can just dwell on the cross and be like, God, I don't know how the breakthrough's coming, but I know that you came. Therefore, you are going to establish yourself and your reign in my heart and in my circumstances. I don't know how it's coming, but it's coming. And then verse 25 Verse 25, honestly, verse 25, things start to get a little complicated. They get a little messy, a lot like life. Verse 25, we get introduced to a woman who had been sick for 12 years. We'll read in the passage in just a minute, but she had an issue that made her unclean. It was a life-sucking issue that she was stuck in. She had tried everything, every remedy, every prayer meeting, 
She had been to every teacher, helper, doctor, witch doctor. Nothing was working. So she must have heard that there was this man, Jesus, that prayed for people and they were made well. So she comes up and it says this woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She had spent all she had. Instead of getting better, she grew worse. She heard about Jesus. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately, everybody say immediately. immediately. Say it like you're actually with me, immediately. immediately. That was still like a B plus, but it's okay. <laughs> immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt, at the body, she, she felt it in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. Freed from her suffering. Now, this woman perplexes me because you have to understand she was not just simply breaking societal norms by putting herself in this situation where she could even touch Jesus. She was breaking spiritual laws. She was doing exactly what you should not do. Her desperation had led her to do things that would have been socially unacceptable. Sometimes freedom costs us our ability to stay within the confines of what we think is normal. Sometimes we have to break outside of the mold of normal so that we can encounter the supernatural normal of Jesus. And Jesus all throughout the Gospels was radically committed to situations and circumstances happening to explode the religious mindset that locked people in to follow this rule and then you get this result into putting the hands of the, 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 the reality and the understanding of the Gospel in the hands of broken people. And he is demonstrating his grace to us through this woman. Because I don't have her issue, but I do have life-sucking issues. I have issues that make me unclean. We all have urges and things that we do and think about and say and dwell on that literally suck the life out of us and they mark us as unclean. And that's what's so powerful about the gospel is that Jesus on the cross took upon himself every bit of that unclean urge that you have. And he said, I will take it on me so that they can receive from me what they don't deserve. And Jesus said, you know what? My blood is going to cover your life-sucking blood. And the blood that resembles death to you is now going to be a blood that resembles life to you. And the blood that flows out of this woman resembles death, but the blood that flows out of me represents life. Therefore, it says that it says power flowed out of him. Have you ever noticed that? She touched him and it said power flowed out of him. There's a picture of the fact that if we touch Jesus, that the blood of Jesus will then replace the blood that's killing us with his life. And he'll give us freedom and grace from the things we never thought that we would be free from. 
And so now you have this woman who had been freed. She'd been absolutely not just physically healed, but made clean. I mean, can you imagine the commotion and the chaos as Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? Now, if Peter was there, moron of the Bible, that's why I love him, he probably would have been like, Jesus, everyone is touching you. You know, and I'm sure Jesus at that moment had to restrain himself from using the very same power that cleansed that woman to annihilate Peter. And he says, who touched me? Who touched me? He's like, what do you mean who touched you? I mean, everybody's touching you. There's a crowd of people around you, Jesus. Like, you're too, you're too tired. You need to take a sabbatical, you know, like. Relax. And he's like, no, 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 no. I felt something flow out of me. Who touched me? Now, you, you have to change scenes and begin to see this woman probably in terror. Because now she thinks she's been found out. She's been discovered. How did he know? How did he know it was me? I was just trying to get in and just touch his cloak because I just maybe if I'll get better if I'll just touch his cloak. And, and all of a sudden now I have to, to, to come clean and, and say that it was me. And so finally, probably with fear and trembling, she's like, it was me. I touched you. And Jesus looks at, you, looks at her and says, you know what? Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. I don't know what's going on in your world right now that makes you feel stuck. I don't know what that issue is. I don't know what that life-sucking issue is. That thing that when it just resembles death to you. You think about it, you think death. I mean, if I gave you a button and on that button it said push this and that goes away, you would slam it. It'd be like family feud. You'd be hitting that button, get it out of my life. I don't know what it is. But I do know that God knows what it is. And he is not overwhelmed. It's not too dirty. It's not too dark or too hidden. But you need to maybe break some norms and put yourself in a position to vulnerably come to the feet of Jesus and say, I'm going to touch you. Help me. And just like this woman, God will look at you in his perfect timing and he'll say, you have been made clean. You've been made clean. And so now it's party time. I mean, can you imagine if you had been this woman 12 years, you've been sick, all of a sudden you know you're better. Do you think you're just kind of walking around just like church, church people? No. No, you're not. You're jumping everywhere. You're absolutely celebrating because you thought that you would never experience what you're experiencing. That's what breakthrough does. Breakthrough absolutely blows away every bit of insecurity in you because you don't care anymore who's watching you because you've had an encounter with the God who sees you. You're not invisible he knows exactly where you are. He knows your need. And it's just this mind-melting experience. And it becomes a celebration that affects everybody. 
not just the person. It affects everybody. I mean, read the Gospels and see when Jesus encounters somebody and brings healing to them, there's always a party on the back end. People running through the streets. He even tells them, don't say anything. You know, I love that. Jesus is like, don't tell anybody. And they're like, yeah, the heck with you, dude. And they're like running down the street. Like, come, dude, you got to meet this guy. This is unbelievable. Why? Because that's what happens when you understand that God sees you, when you encounter the truth that combats the lie that you're invisible, that God has not forgotten you, that your situation is not unseen, but God is bringing a clarity that he sees you. It evokes passion from within you. I mean, have you ever seen somebody worship God who's had a breakthrough, right? Okay, they, I don't care what their theology is. They look Pentecostal. You know what I mean? They're fired up because that's what breakthrough does to people. You know? Now, at the very same time, you have Jarius. He's watching all of this go on, and he's probably looking at his watch, his sundial on his wrist, and he's like, dude, my, my daughter's dying right now. Then his friends come up to him. His friends walk up to him and they give him the absolute worst news a father could hear. Mark 5.35 says, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came to Jarius and said, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher? Isn't this just like life? It's like the greatest breakthrough that you've ever witnessed or maybe even experienced. Death. It's like your greatest need, you feel like you missed your moment, greatest breakthrough. I mean, can you imagine what he's feeling? He just watched a miracle that the woman didn't even ask for, He's probably thinking, I asked you if you would come pray for my daughter. That's why we're even walking down this road. And now you're spending all this time with this woman. Now I missed my moment. My daughter's dead. I, I, I mean, goodness, I've never felt that. But I have been ticked off when other people get their breakthrough and I haven't gotten mine. You never know somebody who gets a brand new Suburban and yours breaks down. Come on, church. Right? You've been a long-time renter. You get word that somebody else just got payment for, they just got given a gift for a down payment on a house. And they're going from like good to great. And you've been in an apartment your whole life and you've like, you're, you're trying to encourage, oh, I'm so happy for you. Bless God, you know, just, you pull out every Christian word you've ever heard. Because it's coming from the mind, not the heart. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, brother, bless, bless your heart. Right? No, that, no, that's, no. Look, that is not fun. It is not fun when somebody else gets blessed when you have real need. It's especially not fun when you feel like you have been doing the right thing. And somebody else has been doing the wrong thing. Think about this. Jarius did what he was supposed to do. He came and fell at the feet of Jesus. Said, Jesus, I'm desperate. Come to my house. Pray for my daughter. 
the woman, back door, scared, creeping in, just touching a string. And he's thinking, man, like, what the heck? Now, I'm sure before verse 36, there was, a, there was a few seconds where the seed of bitterness started to get planted into Jarius' heart. This is the number one thing that robs believers of power on the earth is bitterness. Have you ever met a prickly Christian? Someone when you're like, are you sure you're saved? You know what I mean? I was like, you are not a blessing. And it's because bitterness has replaced their hope. And it's not hard. All it takes is a Mark 5 moment when you're believing God with everything that you have and then you think you missed your window when God forgot about you and saw somebody else. And Jarius hears from his friends, we need to take note here, a little side, that the conversation that you allow yourself to be in, in your place of need, will shape your expectation in that place of need. So be mindful, guard your heart well, for it is the wellspring of life. Don't allow your friends to distract and distort you from believing that God will do what he said he's going to do. Because while this is happening over here with Jarius and his friends, Jesus breaks into the conversation. Verse 36, see somebody wants the sermon to end. I got 18 minutes. I got 18 minutes. Pizza will be here in 18 minutes. Break for lunch. Jesus breaks into the conversation and he says this, ignore what they're saying. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Ignore what they're saying. Don't be afraid. Just believe. What if us in this room made a commitment that we will be fearless in our need. Think about the untapped potential of the church of being fearless in your need. Not looking past your need, not saying I don't see it, looking right at it. Looking at the breakthrough that you need. Not being filled with fear, but being filled with belief. Jesus then begins to walk with Jairus. I can't even imagine the tension in the final paces to his house. As he thinks it's over, the window is closed. But Jesus is trying to disciple his heart and ours that even when the circumstance feels dead, in the kingdom of heaven, death always leads to life. And again, we find ourselves back at the gospel where Jesus prophesied of his death and resurrection in John 4 when he says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. When Jesus said that, we read that from the Western mindset of, oh, bummer, death. Jesus didn't say it from a bummer attitude. Jesus was saying it in expectation. 
unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit. And then he turns it on his disciples and he's like, so if you want to follow me, you have to do as I do. Which means you have to be willing to die so that you can live. And again, this was not bad. This was not bad. This was the opportunity of the gospel to live inside of us. To carry our cross and to follow him. To live not as what we want to do, but to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. How does that happen? We don't hold on to the ideas and the limitations of the world, but we say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that means that the rules of heaven apply to my life on earth. So my greatest, darkest, deadest place is one word away from being alive. Think about it. You're one touch away from being set free. And what we're getting ready to experience here in these next verses is Jesus is going to speak a phrase. And that phrase is going to take this situation of this girl whose life, it seems, has been robbed from her, will rise up. Because that's the power of one word from heaven. We see the picture, two different places of need. One, the power of the touch. Two, the power of the word. Sandwiched in between is the tension that we have to learn to manage, not to fear in our need, but to believe. Jesus walks up to the house, full funeral mode. People are weeping and crying, and as they should be. Nothing more traumatic than a kid dying. Nothing more painful than that. People are just wailing on the ground and it's just absolute chaos. Jesus walks through the door and he's like, what are you guys doing? She's just asleep. And it says they laughed at him. They laughed at him. Isn't it interesting that sometimes it's the people who are closest to us that know us and know our needs so well are sometimes the hardest to believe with us. Have you ever believed for something and you just want your friends to believe with you, but they're like, but I know you, so go get them, tiger. You know what I mean? But their heart's not really there. And so these people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jarius told us that he was gonna come get you, but you know what? You missed it, dude. She's dead. It's over. Because again, they're living from the mindset that death is the end, right? Jesus is living from a whole different set of rules. A whole, a whole different playbook. And so he calls off the dogs, kicks everybody out of the house, takes his disciples and mom and dad. They go up into the room and he looks at this little girl who's lying on her deathbed. And he says, Telakum. Telakum. Rise up. Rise up, little girl. Rise up. And she does. And she gets up. And Jesus looks at mom and dad. And he's like, hey, feed her. She's been dead. She's hungry. I love that. <laughs> Jesus is like, get her a snack, you know. She's been out, all right. 
But we learn a beautiful lesson here. Beautiful lesson because we will in this life encounter difficulty, challenge, and delay. You will believe for something that you don't feel like you're going to see. You're going to hope for breakthrough that might feel like it will never come. You're going to believe for somebody and it feels like it doesn't matter. And Jesus is discipling us through this story in Mark 5 that we don't need to be afraid in our need. Believe he did not forget. Jarius probably thought that Jesus had forgotten that they were on their way to pray for his daughter. But Jesus had a different idea. He said, I didn't forget. I'm just not on your clock. Don't be afraid. Just believe. What if we were fearless in our need? What if we attacked the lie that God maybe has forgotten about us with fearless belief? That our God is a God who allows his greatness to overshadow our weakness. And just like the woman who had an issue that resembled death, that power flowed out of Jesus, like the blood of Jesus flowed out of him and over us, replacing what's dead in us with life. And just like Jarius, we might be in this room and thinking, I've been believing and now I feel like the window's closed. The opportunity's not even there. I've been unemployed for too long. It doesn't matter. I don't need to believe for a job. Oh, no, it's just, you don't understand, like, my family's too far gone. Maybe there was a window back in the 90s, but that window's closed. They're not even hungry anymore. Where were you? You must have forgotten about them. Jesus is like, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. I believe that this morning God wants to break into our realities and be the great reality shifter. And wherever you find yourself, maybe it's over here where you're like, I've had an issue forever and I just need a touch. Or maybe it's over here, you're like, I feel like God forgot me. Or maybe you're in the middle and you're like, I don't even know what I need. I just need. We're going to go into a time of just responding to the word of God. And I'm going to have our ministry team come on up and our band come on up. And I just want to pray for us. And as I pray, I want to encourage you, be so courageous to come like the woman did in your need and touch the hem of his garment. Our friends want to bless you and, and encourage you and build you up and pray for you and be there for you in your time of need. I know that maybe some of you might not even know who Jesus is. And as I've been talking about this man who is telling us not to be afraid, but just believe, you're like, believe in what? Do do what? I have good news for you. Romans 5, 6, it says that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not on our best day, on our worst day. And he took upon himself the penalty of our sin. In Romans, it also says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life through Jesus. And if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that we will be saved. And this morning, it could be your moment. You can encounter the Jesus who looks at your circumstance and says, don't be afraid, just believe because I'm with you.
and you can encounter the freedom that you thought that you would never be able to encounter, not because you deserve it, but because he's worthy, not you. Let his goodness overwhelm you this morning. Would you stand? If you need prayer, as the band sings, I want to encourage you to come forward. Let me just pray for us. God, would you come? Would you encounter us, Father? Would you shift our reality? Allow us to look at our circumstances, not with hopelessness, but with belief that we would be fearless, Father, that even in our place of being stuck for 12 years or longer, Father, that you are reaching into our worlds and bringing healing and cleansing where there once has been death. And Father, I'm asking that life would be breathed into dreams and into expectation and areas that feel dead. Father, would the resurrected life of God begin to move pervasively in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.